0: Hello, welcome to ExtelTalk. Today is March 19th, 2020, and I'm your host, Bray F. Sadler. Today, we'll be talking about the Electoral College and voting. And without further ado, let us begin the show. (music) Democracy, while it lasts, is more bloody than either aristocracy or monarchy. Remember, Democracy never lasts long. It soon wastes, exhausts, and murders itself. John Adams. Today, it seems like many people shout from the rooftops, democracy, wanting to make America a democratic society. Yet, this is arguably one of the least good things to do. In fact, This could lead to a destruction that all we hold dear. And today, the the Electoral College, the way how Americans choose their president and vice president has come under attack, causing us to ask ourselves the question, should the United States replace the Electoral College with national popular vote? And the answer is no, for two reasons. First is that the states are independent. And second, is that big states will simply roll all over the smaller ones. Now, on to my first point, of that each state, each state is an independent. Now, according to Chris Annell, a popular constitutional spokesperson, on February 20th, 2020, is that each state is its own independent country. In other words, when the founding fathers went to the constitutional convention, they did not believe that the United States was in, in was a country. It was an alliance between the states. This means that California is an independent country and Florida is an independent country. And this factored into how the president was elected. You see, the founding fathers never meant the president to be the representative of the people. The president from the beginning was always the represent- representative of the collective states. And this is because the founding fathers believed that the president was to deal with foreign powers. And the states, being in a common alliance, would elect the president among themselves to represent state interests to foreign countries so now what this means is that each is that the electoral college is not done is not a popular mechanism instead the president is chosen from among the states not the people so what does this mean so let's say that we were to to go to a national popular vote this means that the individual states would, instead of maintaining their individual sovereignty as independent countries, would meld into one. Because now, there is nothing... There is nothing differing a Californian from a Floridian. However, in reality, is it... Let's say, is it under national popular vote, is that there would be foreign interference among the states. Because in Florida... It is Floridians who elect the representative who elect the electors. And if a Californian were to vote in a Floridian election, then that would be foreign meddling in a domestic election. So essentially, what national popular vote would do is create election meddling within the states. Because remember, each state, is its own independent country in a common alliance to defend itself to defend itself with the other states. Now onto my second point, of that big states would simply roll over all the smaller ones. For example, according to Business Insider in the January of 2020, is that 164 million people, in other words, the majority of the country live in only ten states, which would mean that let, is that these the most populated states, New York, California, Texas, would simply be able to run the rest of the country. Meaning that let's say, I don't know, free market capitalism dominated in the top ten in the top ten states. That would mean that everybody else would have to follow Florida's or Californians' idea of what's best for the country instead of having, instead of the individual states having a say. Now, this would mean that only the top 10 states would have their interests represented in electing the president. However, under the Electoral College, each state has its interests represented in the election of a president. So, if we were to revert to And a popular election, then simply only 10 states would be able to decide what the rest of the country does, meaning that states like Kansas, Rhode Island, New Hampshire would simply get rolled over, not having themselves being represented in the election of arguably the most important office in the world. So once again, we must ask ourselves the question, should the United States replace the electoral college with national popular vote? And the answer is simply no, for, three re- for two reasons. First, is that America, is that each of these individual states are sovereign countries. Second, is that simply the big states would roll over the small ones. So once again, democracy always exhausts itself, always murders itself. If we go into national popular vote, we'll be simply taking a step to our own destruction. But by keeping the republic in place, the United States is once again putting itself on a further course to prosperity. Thank you. Now, after the short break, we'll be back talking about voting and the Electoral College in general. Hello, folks, and welcome back to Extem Talk. I'm your host, Bray Sadler, and now we'll begin with my daily tangent. Sometimes today, in fact, just before doing this podcast, I just saw a video talking about how the Electoral College was bad and even read an article talking about how stupid it was. So I just have a couple things to say, a couple myths to debunk about the Electoral College. So a lot of people, let's see, let's let's start from the basics. So and I did not go enough into this in the speech. So. Let me try to illuminate this, so I know some people listening to this will have a common misconception that the United States is indeed a democracy, but that simply is not the case now, let's see what the de- so the definition of democracy is pretty much Athens, where you had all citizens had an equal vote in deciding. And could do whatever they want. As long as the majority got got their way no matter what. And, once again, while I can see many people find this attractive, is that it's not really. For example, is that... um, Where is the rule of law? Because, you see, in a democracy, there is no room for law. Because, because the majority can pretty much do whatever they want to do. There is no... Guiding principles. Another thing is let's just say is that democracy is based off of is hmm, a rule of the people. A democracy reacts to the whims of the people at any certain time. In fact, um, I have this I don't know if he's pronounced this quote from Reynolds right Reinhold's Niebuhr? cannot pronounce a name that's, and he said in this quote, democracies are indeed slow to make war, but once embarked upon a martial venture, are equally slow to make peace and reluctant to make a tolerable rather than a vindictive peace. And this guy does have a point. Let's um take arguably the most well known and arguably the only true democracy to ever exist Athens. You see, Athens was locked in in nearly a 70-year war with Sparta. The Peloponnesian Wars like, lasted 70 years, and Athens was also, in the meantime, a warmonger invading individual countries. In fact, just to kind of illustrate this, I don't know, I can't really remember the specifics, but I'm go listen to Hillsdale College's um, The Peloponnesian Moors. They explain how Athens kind of just invaded everybody. And once again, is, it, they, is it this kind of shows that democracy does what feels right at a specific time. Democracies end up killing themselves. Only after a short period of time. This is what Athens teaches us. So now that brings us so now we must understand is that we are not a democracy, we are a constitutional republic, and this means a couple things. First is that we believe in the rule of law. The idea is that government is subject subject to the law itself. We can see this in the Constitution. Where the federal government can't just go doing things willy nilly, else is that the federal government instead, well, in theory, has to keep itself to the Constitution, although we have not done a great idea, a great job of this. But not only is the United States a republic, we are also a federation, because the individual states are also regarded as sovereign countries. So we're, if you would like, a Republican Federation. So what this means is that, first of all, is that each individual state is a sovereign nation and has the right to delegate its affairs and to manage itself without federal interference. Now, once again, the federal government isn't horrible, but initially the federal government was only in charge of being was only in charge of dealing with foreign affairs. That's why the president, like I said in the speech, the president was a representative of the states to the foreign countries. And this was because the president was supposed to represent the state's interests as a whole, to foreign powers. Now this also has a couple of things. Um, if you remember the Senate, is that even though the senators today are elected by popular vote, is that they weren't always. In fact, the Constitution, I believe, Article Section 1, let's bring it up here. Either way, so anyway. So the Constitution talks about how each individual senator was to be selected by the state legislator. Now, individual state legislators could decide what it, however they want to choose an electorate it could be a popular vote from within the state. It could be appointed by the governor. It doesn't matter. But my point is, is that the senators were representatives of the various state legislators, not the people themselves. In fact, only the House of Representatives was considered was considered to be popular to be popular election, to represent the actual people as a whole. But and there is a reason why let's per se that the House always has had has always had the duty and the sole authority to draft the national budget. and this is because the founding fathers understood is that the House of Representatives have are most are the most in touch with their individual client clients or their voters, or let's say I live in district 060037 is that our representative is in touch with our representative is mostly in touch out of everybody in the federal government to the people in Parkland Florida so now what this means is because because the representatives were so close to the people to their people is it it gave the people the ability to create the budget so in the sense is that there's a reason why the power of the purse has been kept in the House of Representatives is because the people, or the public as a whole, has always been mostly represented there. And because tax dollars or money are pretty much the public's money to the government, the Founding Fathers always understood that the people got to decide how their money was spent. Hence why the House always has had the power of the purse. But there's also another reason why the Senate is the only government body that can ratify treaties with foreign nations. And this is because the ideally each individual senator would represent the state the state legislator, or the states themselves. So that would I mean is that when it comes to foreign powers, each state would have its interests heard. So the Senate has always been on has been the representatives of the individual states and the house has always been the representatives of the actual people themselves now this now this is a proper constitutional republic so once again so and this is because once again is it the reason why the states each have their own senators because each state is considered An individual country. Hence why all of them always get their... always get... would get the representation in the Senate. But it's not only this, is that the states were for the longest time recognized as the highest power for deciding what was constitutional or not. Once again, It's the state's responsibility to nullify unconstitutional laws, such as the Patriot Act or Obamacare. So just remember is that the reason why we don't have, at least on a federal level, popular vote is because each state is an individual country. And national popular vote would simply just interfere in each state's individual sovereignty. While the Electoral College always make sure that each state is equally has an equal say in every presidential election. So, now that I've gotten that cleared up, let's move on to voting. So, today I've heard that many times that most of the American population does not vote. So, let's get a couple things down. Is first is that it is each individual citizen's duty to vote. You can't, it just, it is violating your God given duty if you decide that you want to stay home come November. It is your duty as a citizen to vote. To make sure that this country is held in capable hands. So, And once again, as I just kind of find this incredible, is that leave, let's see, Congress approval readings twenty nineteen. So let's just put this in. so this is from June of 2019 so at a Gallup poll according to a Gallup poll given according to CNN 75 percent of people did not like Congress or the current Congress but this is incredible is that this is almost like a 98 reelection rate for the Congre- for congressmen like this is crazy so. In other words, Congress. Cong- the approval rating of Congress is super low, at only 20%, yet 98% of them always get reelected. So if you don't like your local congressperson, go out and vote against them. Don't stay home. Because, once again, We live in a republic. We elect our leaders. Which means that you can't blame some king for your nation's problem. After all, you elect your governor. You elect, or at least on a state level, you elect a president or at least the people that are going to vote for him. If you vote for the wrong people, that's on you. So... If you don't like your, if you don't like the president, if you don't like your congressperson, if you don't like your governor, don't lay back. For once again, um, I'm pretty sure no one listening to this is very fond of the Patriot Act. I mean, seriously, the Patriot literally allows Americans to be detained without a without. Any legal reason without a warrant allows search and seizure of private property without any legal warrants. Allows American citizens to be detained indefinitely and without charges. And what did we as the American people do? We rolled on our backs and just let Washington. We just let Washington keep on doing it. We've been in Afghanistan for twenty years. What we've got, we has got near twenty trillion dollars in debt. Three useless wars in the longest war in American history, and we have no idea what we're doing there. And it's only twenty years for Trump and it's taken twenty years for us to get out of this war. And it took Trump ...on his second try to make peace with the Taliban. We as the American people... ...who elect our representatives... ...and now elect our Senate... ...and on some of elect our president... ...we should have just said... ...if you want to get re-elected... ...you have to bring our troops home. If you want to get re-elected... ...you have to oppose the Patriot Act. If you vote for the Patriot Act... ...you're out. Us as the voters need to do that. Yet the American people haven't. That's why, what do you think? We have a 75% disapproval rating of our current Congress, and we do nothing. 98% of them get reelected. So, once again, us as the American people, if we do not like what our politicians are doing, if we do not look if you're a conservative like me if you do not like what the republican party is doing or the democrats you see our entire our entire just country our values our religion just falling to shreds don't stay at home on november because do you know what do you know what a, um a what's the word a protest vote is it's a vote for Hillary Clinton it's a vote for Elizabeth Warren it's a vote for Bernie Sanders Joe but it's a it's a vote for communism and once again I'm no Trump supporter if you're a Republican and I'm not but if you're republican you're dissatisfied with Trump and you're not out there voting against Trump in the primaries if you're keeping on with the current establishment and you see our country ramping up debt then go in the primaries vote against Trump if you're a left if you're if you're a leftist and you don't like the the establishment I'm pretty sure you guys do have a larger voter turnout than us do. Then, if you don't like your representative, vote against them. Don't do a protest vote because that's just giving victory to the current person that sucks or to an even worse person. It is your duty as citizens to vote, and it is the duty of all Americans, if you can vote. To vote. And I know some people listening to this podcast want to feel like their vote. Doesn't matter. Like um, It's being flooded. Now, I just... Okay. I listened to David Barton. I'm pretty sure I believe his... A friend of his who co-hosts the Wall Builders podcast. Rick Green, I believe is his name. A Texas legislator. Former let's see. Yep, Rick Green. Uh, I was watching I was listening to him one day and he was talking about how his that he won his election by almost thirty votes. You see, you can affect the pres who how which how your president wins in your own district. I mean believe Two thousand. The two thousand election was only won by a couple million votes. Or hold on, let me get this number real quick. Well, only. Either way, in in Florida, Bush won by only a relatively few votes. So if you believe that your vote doesn't matter, it's that's not what goes on. On your state level, your vote makes a difference. You can make a real difference with your governor, with your state representative, and your state senators. On your local level, your vote counts majorly. And on a representative level, of course your vote counts. I believe in the, um, every district is supposed to represent 30,000 people, though once again, due to federal government, that's not always the case. But either way, it's only 30,000 people who can vote for a representative. You and, I don't know, uh, 300 people can make a difference in these elections. So if you don't like your congressperson, go out and vote. And once again, I'm not a Republican. I might sound like one, but I'm not. Like once again, if you're a Republican and you don't like what the Republican Party is doing... Get out of the Republican Party. There are plenty of third parties. There's the Constitution Party, American Solidarity, there's a bunch of parties that you can vote for, and your vote matters. It does because like Rick Green only won his election by like 38 something votes. Your vote matters. So if you feel like your vote doesn't matter, I'm just got to say. Maybe that is true on a national election, but on a state, local. That matters. Your vote counts. So, once again, as a citizen, do your duty and vote. Now, I just uh, was just want to revisit the electoral college. So I was reading this article and. As a matter, I was reading like a, so many objections to, to having an electoral college that it gives too much power to white people. So, I don't know, I just see this as a reoccurring theme these days. Is that it seems like even more than at any other time, it kind of seems like race plays a major part in politics, identity politics. Now, I don't know about you, but what I, the beef that I have, I have some beef with Obama, but it's not because he's black. It's because some of the Obamacare, and honestly, I do think Bush is worse, worse, but um, that's beside the point. Is that why does it matter what color you are? Why does it matter how many people are white? Like, isn't the idea of eliminating race to make each person judged on their actions, on their character, and not their race? Because some of these arguments that I heard against the Electoral College are because it's the white people who get elected who have the power, but once again, why does that matter? Like, once again, is that and another thing that I kind of see a lot these days is that I'm looking at the Democratic Party. I don't know about you, but I've only seen like joe Joe Biden over work when he was still running. They talk about how it's been sad that there haven't that there hasn't been a black like a a woman president yet or a too few black presidents like sometimes I'm thinking is it what are you talking about first of all, is that it, it's kind of funny is that, um like when Joe Biden says how evil the white man is? It's kind of funny seeing a white man say that. And he talks about how bad it is that there is not a woman president. Yet he's the leading Democratic nominee and he's a man. Hey, why does it matter if you're a man or a woman running for president? Especially is it, once again, is that there was no shortage of female candidates or of woman candidates for the Democratic nomination. Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris... Um, and a few others, but my point is, is that the blocks voted for Joe Biden, woman voted for Joe Biden, is that this kind of just shows is that don't say it's so bad. Is it, I guess my point is here is that it doesn't matter. Just. Doesn't matter if you're black or white, or how much pe- how many people there are that white that are vote, like. It doesn't matter. It just matters how people vote. That's it. And that kind of just sums it up. Let me think. If there's anything more. So it's like just and, let's think about this white thing. These, um, race things. So, and I know I'm going on a biff off a tangent from voting, but let's keep it a voting. So let's say there are too many white people in voting, and that we want to decrease power from whites. What, how do you do that? The way that you do that is either what is by literally making sure that whites cannot vote, that's how you do it. That's how you decrease the people, how many white people vote. You stop white, you make it illegal for white people to vote. So, my point here is that, once again, the only way to achieve the way for minorities to have, I guess, more of a majority in out of the people to vote is to literally ban certain groups of people from voting. And the last time I checked, that is not what the Founding Fathers wanted, and that is surely is not what democracy is. And another and like that's that's just screwed up. And another thing that I kinda just want to address. So I hear a lot of people about how the Constitution was is arguably one of the greatest pro-slavery documents in the world and how is the fact is, people, is that it? it's not. The Constitution is actually arguably one of the greatest anti-slavery government documents in existence. Let's see this. um. So, I'm pretty sure a lot of people are going to talk about the three-fifths compromise. So, let's analyze. So, I know a lot of people today specifically, this is how I used to look at it, is that if you're to say that a black was worth three-fifths of the person, specifically with the vote, I can see how a lot of people think that that is racist. But, um... And I must agree is that if that law were to be passed today, it would be. But let's analyze the law and in its historical context. So let's um, time travel back to 1786, around to the Constitutional Convention. To colonial times. So at that time what do you have you have the north which at least new england which is very anti slavery you have the south which are kind of a mix that there are there's are some places that are very pro slavery and you have the middle which is has a little bit of both so once again you kind of realize that at the point at this time is that if the union or the united states would have were to be separated, the North were to separate from the South, and vice versa, is that the country would have been destroyed. So what the Three-Fifths Compromise was, is that the South wanted their slaves to count as one person, but still not have the ability to vote. What the North did was say that, no, a slave who cannot vote does not count as a voter, in fact, they'll count as three fifths of a population, and they thought this is that they thought is that if you want your slaves to count towards your voter population, free your slaves, then they'll be considered voters. So what this was is that this was a big middle finger to slavery, because they said is it you no, know, if you want slaves' votes to count, if you want slaves to be counted in the census, if you want slaves to be counted and how you choose your representatives free them let them vote so once again that was arguably one of the greatest that was a, a seen especially in the north as a huge victory against slavery and another thing is that the constitution banned the actual slave trade I believe was it 1800 to the year 1800 is that is that slaves were actually is it this is that the Constitution set the set the parameters for slavery to actually start decreasing, which making one of the greatest anti-slavery documents in history. Um, I know some people will say about how um, slaves. Okay, first of all, yes, um, blacks were a huge slave population, but Whites could be slaves, Native Americans could be slaves, so being a slave was't slaves were not- necess- is it the constitution was not did not directly prevent free blacks from voting. If you look at it, that was all done at the state level, not at the federal level, and in regards to woman voting same thing, the Constitution never explicitly banned or never actually well. Yet never banned women from voting so once again that was also done at the state level so the constitution itself is actually anti-slavery and is not sexist for those who are wondering and how was i going to say after that i can't remember um so yes yeah, so, is so that when it so first is that and also when it comes to some of the founding fathers to so whether or not they're uh, whether or not they were racist or not. So I've heard a lot of people say, I'm in the debate community talking about how, I've heard people say about how the founding fathers were just a bunch of white slave-owning bigots. But the fact is they're not. Okay, so first of all, rep- the constitutional representatives in the North were very anti-slavery. And, okay, so that pretty much leaves the ones from the South. And yes, there were some constitutional people at the Constitutional Convention, some of the delegates, who were very pro-slavery. But let's look at some of the big names. Um, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, were both anti-slavery. And I know some people will want to say about how they were slave-owning that just proved that they were bad. Let's just point this out that Thomas Jefferson did write about how he hoped that his he hoped that he, how he saw, the black as his fellow man, and George Washington, did free all of his slaves upon the death, upon his death. So, now you're probably asking yourself the question, why didn't the founding fathers just free their slaves? Um, well, it had to do with this. Let's look at Thomas Jefferson, and George Washington, who lived in Virginia. Um, I do not know about Thomas Jefferson whether believe he freed his slaves, but I cannot. I cannot remember at this moment, but um, George Washington. Let's take a look at George Washington. So upon his death, so in Virginia, for a long time, is that if an owner were to free his slaves, it was illegal for owners to free their to free their slaves. So in other words, it was illegal for George Washington to free his slaves in Virginia. But for a short time, I believe, was it 1995 or something around there, it was legal for owners to free their slaves upon their death. That's why when George Washington included his will that all the slaves he directly owned were to be freed. So, once again, is and in regards to Thomas Jefferson, okay, this is what Thomas Jefferson said. I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever, that considering numbers, nature, and natural means only, a revolution of the wheel of fortune and exchanges of situation is among possible events, that may become probable if the supernatural interference, the almighty has no attribute which can take side with such a contest. Now, what Jefferson is pretty much saying here is that he's literally worried for the United States as a country because against God's wrath. Because God, he does not wait forever. Yes, God is very patient. but He will not stay patient forever. After all, God is a just God. He will not wait forever. And here is Thomas Jefferson was talking about slavery. He was worried that God's wrath eventually would burn against the United States for legalized slavery showing that Thomas Jefferson once again was against slavery and once again just to kind of show this another Thomas Jefferson quote from 1829 is the abolition of domestic slavery is the greatest is the great object of desire in those colonies where it was unhappily introduced in their infant state. Once again, another quote. Another quote. The day is not distant when we must bear and adopt the abolition of slavery, or worse will follow. Once again, it just kind of makes sense. Once again, let's just, one more quote. A man's moral sense. Must be unusually strong if slavery does not make him a thief. So, kind of just shows that Thomas Jefferson, just is that Thomas Jefferson was not a racist bigot, and this also plays out for most of the founding fathers. So, and that's that. So once again, I'm just going to try to point out is that it does not matter what the demographics are. Oh, and there's one other thing that I want to talk about. So, I probably have to repeat this in another episode, but I remember is that I believe I was at ISD in there, and a lot of people were talking about the disparity between whites in jobs and, like, Caucasians in jobs and blacks or minorities in jobs, and talking about how there need to be. More minorities involved in the higher level jobs and higher level jobs, and about how specifically I believe I there was a diversity seminar which taught in which they talked about how how there was less that most people they were white and how there were less minorities involved in speech and debate. Which I could tell you being in South Florida is complete BS, but I guess my point is that they were talking about is. So, and they're talking about how, like, there n- needs to be more minority, more minority activity in speech and debate, and I just kind of think, like, a, it's a let's let's think this through to its end. So, whether it's in regard to jobs or or speech and debate, is that let's say we wanted to prioritize minorities in speech and debate or in jobs. Now that would mean that you'd have to turn down Caucasian students. In other words, to solve a lot of these racial injustices, the pro the solution would be is to decrease Caucasian involvement. To let's say, let's mean when it comes to racial disparity in jobs, to hire the black instead of the white guy, even though maybe the white guy is a little bit more qualified, or vice versa. So it, it's it's just as that it's like thinking a lot of these ideas through their through their kind of, through their logical ending kind of shows us that for a lot of these racial disparities, like the solution to solving these problems would be to be racist, which I thought we were trying to eliminate, but that's for another for another episode. So once again when it comes to race the solution is not celebrate your diversity it's not it's not to prioritize blacks or white. it's not reparations the way how you solve racism everywhere is how Martin Luther King suggested to judge people based on their character and actions not their skin color because whether or not that's in voting or speech and debate or the jobs is that that is the way how you solve any remaining racism now. And when it comes to voting, voters, if you don't like Trump, if you don't like, if you don't like Nancy Pelosi, if you don't like your local representative, if you don't like this Governor DeSantis, go out and vote. Don't stay home on November. Because maybe one of the things about being in a republic is that we elect our officials. Indirectly like the president. Indirectly elected. But your representatives are directly elected and now the senators. And I don't know how the individual states legislators work. But here in Florida, we do elect our governor. So, whatever crap your representative gets into, such as the Patriot Act or your president, like Bush, got into... I don't know what... Like Bush got into Iraq. He it's... All the blame can be, once again, put on the voters. Because, after all, we chose those guys. So, there's two things when it comes to voting. First is, you actually need to vote. Do your duty as an American citizen and vote. And second is, don't let government officials get away with crap. Don't let Bush get away with... Iraq, don't let Obama get away with Libya, don't let Trump get away with CMA. and just illustrate, the CMA or the United States-Canada-Mexico-Canada Canada trade, trade agreement, NAFTA um, 2.0 in other words, is one of the most unconstitutional documents that has been proposed in the 21st century, one of the most unconstitutional treaties. So if you don't like these people, don't stay home. Go to go to the voting. Go to the polls. Go vote in your primaries. Make sure these people do not get elected. So do your duty as a voter. Because when you do your duty as a voter, you will make this country better. Because once again, I am a fifteen-year-old, and I look around. Some like sometimes I wonder, so can this country ever be redeemed? Like, I mean, we're $22 trillion in debt. We have the blood of millions of babies on our hands. Hell, we went up and shot and pretty much ruined an entire region of the world. And we've also been through so many freaking screw-ups that sometimes I wonder... But I know this. I know. I know two things. First is that God is merciful... And patience. So we do have time to fix our to right our wrongs. And second, is that if voters do the right thing, our country is not doomed. George Washington, when he was president and the people who were elected then, drew the nation from the Articles of Confederation, which pretty much almost tore the country apart. So once again, there is a chance we can redeem our country... And, but only by voting, only by doing our duty, by keeping the Electoral College, by voting the right way, by keeping government officials accountable, can we do that? So once again, I hope this country, because I still do think that God bless America, no matter what we've gone through, I do think there is a chance we can still do good and we can fix ourselves. Thank you. Well, that's the end of the episode for today, folks. If you liked the episode, please hit the like button, comments button, or simply subscribe. And I'll see you next time on Accept Talk. Have a good day.